Folk, it will be helpful if you have a Bible. And there are a number of them on the back table. And so if you're visiting, haven't brought your Bible, please put your hand up and the chaps will bring a Bible to you while I'm continuing this introduction. There will also be printed notes available on the table where the name tags are if you would like to collect one after the service. Earlier in the year, the elders chose for us a title for 2015 as a guide for our studies together, How Then Shall We Live? And this series follows on in that vein and builds on the series of 40 days in the Word. And as we come to this first study in the series on James, we're going to take an overview of the book so that as others follow, you've got a foundation on which to build. But first we're going to read from the book chapter 1 and the first few verses. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. And the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. 
Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that He created. In the New Testament, James is the first of the general letters. Now these letters are usually addressed to general audiences. Now this distinguishes them from Paul's letters. He addressed his ones to individuals like Timothy or to named local churches such as the Church of God in Corinth. Now these general letters were sent to scattered believers or congregations as in James chapter 1 and verse 1 the scattered ones among the nations. Now the author is of course James but we might ask which James? Now James number 1 was the son of Zebedee brother of John an apostle. James 2 was the son of Alphaeus, also an apostle. James number three is the son of an unknown Mary. James four was father of Judas, but not Judas Iscariot, another one. And James five was the brother of Jesus, a later believer who became leader in the church in Jerusalem. So can we sort out which James would have written this letter? Now James 1 was executed by Herod in AD 44 which makes it too early for him to have written this letter. The opening verse of James suggests that he is a person who doesn't need any introduction. So it's unlikely that James 2, 3 or 4 in our list would have been involved. So James 5 is the most likely author. He personally met Jesus after he rose from the dead, 1 Corinthians 15. He became a recognised teacher, James 3 and 1. And he exercised authority in that church in Jerusalem. And this James was martyred in 62 AD when Nero was emperor of Rome. Now some features of this letter that are worth noting. First it was written to Jewish Christians scattered among the nations. Now the likely cause of this scattering was the persecution that broke out following the stoning of Stephen as recorded in Acts 8. And so these people were actually refugees forced to flee from their homes because of their faith and now struggling to maintain that faith in a hostile world that had no time for God. It's actually a very early text in the New Testament along with Galatians and Thessalonians written probably before 50 AD That is about 20 years after the death of Jesus. 
To us it might seem strange that there are actually only two references in the book to Jesus. First verse of chapter 1, first verse of chapter 2. But there are actually many pointers to the teaching of Jesus, such as the Sermon on the Mount. Now that may not be so strange because we remember that Jesus and James shared the same home. Now Paul focused in his letters on salvation through believing in Jesus as we would find in Romans 3 and 4. But James deals with the equal truth that such belief must show in behaviour that identifies the believers as followers of Jesus. There's no conflict between Paul and James. They simply express complementary aspects of God's truth. When Jesus was here, he spent time teaching about God's kingdom. And these displaced people to whom James wrote were to be God's living examples in a hostile world of what that kingdom was really like. Well, the structure of the letter. Can you move it on for me, Steve? Thank you. How did uh, James put his material together? Actually, it doesn't fall into neat categories that help us identify themes. And the topics repeat one another. However, the dominant theme is this. Christian growth, Christian faith grows by overcoming trials. And such faith should be expressed by appropriate actions while waiting for Jesus to return and complete God's kingdom. Now as we go through the series we'll be using the the paragraph headings as shown in the NIV Bible but just a little word here. The common 1984 version of NIV uses inclusive language. By that I mean when it speaks about mankind it means humankind men and women. And here in James 1 and verse 2 he says, Count it pure joy, my brothers. And the inclusive language means brothers and sisters. Now the 2011 NIV clarifies this point about language by actually using the words brothers and sisters where that is appropriate. So we'll just note that as we go through. And this morning we're going to look really at the bulk of the book, chapters 2, 3, 4 and 5. I know that seems a little back to front but I think you'll see the reason in a minute. And then we'll finish by looking at chapter 1. So first we come to chapters 2 to 5 and um, James's general theme here is relationships. Now these people have been thrown into another world as it were. How do they get on with one another? We'll take one example from each chapter beginning with chapter 2 to illustrate 
this point. Now you'll notice in the, in the NIV Bible the first subheading is favouritism forbidden. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favouritism. So James is reminding his readers, men and women, that they must be careful in how they interact with each other because if you've got favourites then there's likely to be other people who are shunned and despised. That is not the way. It is not God's way. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, reference to Sermon on the Mount, then you do what is right. You must be different. Now moving to chapter 3 and again the first section in the chapter is headed Taming the Tongue. So James is writing to them about speaking to others. Not many of you should presume to be teachers my brothers because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now James knew that these people wouldn't always do what was right. But first he picks on the teachers and that is a solemn responsibility. We speak to others and when we teach God's word we are undertaking a solemn responsibility. I think he's referring to elders here because the distinctive qualification for eldership is that a person is able to teach. But James is aware that all his readers needed to be careful and disciplined when speaking to or about others because sometimes we speak with our tongue and we praise God and yet other times with the same tongue we speak unkindly or untruthfully about others. We move on to chapter 4 and our example again comes from the first section. Subheading, submit yourselves to God. Verses 1 and 2 of that chapter. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. People lived like that then. These displaced people come across that in their new surroundings. And perhaps the danger is that they'll slip into doing what others around them are doing. James warns them, be careful. Submit yourselves to God. Their attitude to others had to be different from what they saw around them. They were to submit themselves to God and adopt his attitude 
towards others. We move on to chapter 5 and I didn't choose the first paragraph this time but I moved down to the third one, the prayer of faith, dealing with caring for others. Verse 16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. James knew that they were sometimes going to fail and they needed to learn how to say sorry to people they hurt or upset by inappropriate words or actions. But most importantly, they were to remember this and to pray for one another and whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save that person from death. God's plan for people was that they should accept his gift of life, eternal life and prayer played a key part in saving some around them from death. Now if we think of these four examples from these chapters then we see that they focus on relationships, reacting to others, speaking to others, our attitude to others, caring for others. And James is pointing out to them that their relationships with others needed to be in keeping with a growing relationship with God, their God. Be careful now. This is a trial for you. It's hard going for you. From this overview we find that uh, James wanted their interactions with others to demonstrate to their troubled world a world troubled by violence and hatred and fear and corruption that there was another way for people to live. It was going to be hard Yet these scattered refugees were to model this new life by their behaviour which had been shaped by their belief in God. Do those conditions sound a bit familiar to you? We hear, see and read the same kind of things every day in our media. So James has a message for us all. But James doesn't actually start his letter by talking about relationships. Chapter 1 actually focuses on personal issues. And the first section in the chapter has to do with trials and temptations. He begins, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know, you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. 
Perseverance must finish his work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that one, that one will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Now at first those words seem odd. Is James really serious? But there's a vital principle here for all Christian people. It's a plan that has a method and a purpose. You see, life for these people and for all of God's people will consist of trials of many kinds. In order that, faith will be tested to see whether it's genuine and it will produce perseverance or endurance. In order that, we become mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now God's plan was not to make his people miserable but to transform them. How different the trials and troubles if these scattered believers grasped this vital principle of God's plan for life. This is God's method of making his people more like Jesus. And verse 12, let me read it again. Blessed is the one who does persevere under trial because having stood the test, that one will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. A vitally important plan It's God's method and his purpose is to make us like Jesus. Well, what's the message in this old letter for us today? And we'll start off personally. You see, I need to understand God's plan. God's plan is to give me eternal life. It's actually his gift for all who love him. Now the rest of the book won't make sense if we don't get this starting point right. God wants us to have his gift. But you see, that puts upon me the responsibility of choice. Do I want his gift? And James is reminding these people of this basic starting point. Have I understood God's principle for life? Have I received his gift? 
I need to make that choice. I wonder if having gone through for the 40 days, God's been hounding you. Here is the truth of his word but it calls for a response from me. I want you to think carefully about that. Have you received God's gift of eternal life? If not, don't don't go away from this building this morning without clarifying that question. When the meeting is over, come and speak to me or to David or to Bev. Uh, Just say, I, I want to clarify that issue. The rest of the studies won't apply to you unless you have received his gift of eternal life. Now God uses trials to test my faith and develop endurance so that I grow in my faith and become more like Jesus. You see, it's vital that I understand this principle of living. That's God's method with me. Now, I know that numbers of you are going through trials of some kind. We all do. It's God's method but can you grasp the truth that that's not to make you miserable but it's to build your faith, increase your endurance under trial because it's not going to get easier and God is going to make us more like Jesus because a desperate world needs that truth. You see, what I am has to be seen in what I do. God intends it that way. We need to demonstrate that there is another way to live and it's not going to be easy. But it's what God wants us to do. Represent him and demonstrate what it is to belong to his family. Now God's plan is that I become a living example of what he will actually do with the entire creation when he fully establishes his kingdom when Jesus returns. He just picks us and transforms us so that people get a clue what God's kingdom will ultimately be when he makes a new heaven and a new earth. All things become new. What a challenge to be one of God's people in a disturbed and rebellious age but that's the starting point do we understand that the reason why there are trials God's purpose for us in us and through us 
to demonstrate that there's another way for people to live. Now chapters 2, 3, 4 and 5 fall into place. But in the adverse conditions, James is encouraging them, live like this. Don't quit. Yes, today we are scattered throughout an unbelieving world and we're waiting for our Lord's return and we face trials of many kinds and so we come to the corporate part. Our interactions with others are the hard evidence of our faith in God's plan. We're scattered through an unbelieving world, like they were. We're waiting for our Lord's return, like they were. And we face many trials, like they did. But by grace God has made us members of his family by adoption. James was a brother of Jesus, half-brother strictly. But dear friends, we are brothers and sisters of Jesus through God's grace. Jesus, our Saviour and Lord, we are respectful about this as with James. He doesn't start off by saying, oh, I'm Jesus' brother by the way. No, he says, I'm a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are to show in our dealings with others this family likeness. Whether we're young or old, weak or strong in our faith, whether we're within a church or outside somewhere, whether we're believers or unbelievers. And God's plan is that together we become a living example to the unbelieving world of what God's kingdom will be like when Jesus returns. Now in verse 18, the last verse we read, God chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits. When the tree in the orchard brings forth its first fruit, that's terrific. That's an act of God. And we're thankful for it. But look, it also tells us there's going to be a whole lot more fruit that follows. And God thrusts us out into the world as first fruit. Look what God did with them. Just as an indication of the marvellous things he will do when he completes his kingdom at the return of of Jesus. A little overview of the book. Preparation for the other studies that follow. Are you a believer in Jesus? Don't forget to come and get that question straight today. You're struggling with trials and they're they're getting on top of you. Can you ask God to show you why this is? That he wants you to be his representative and to come through the trials in a way 
that attracts other people to come and join us as members of God's family. Now there's a prayer on the screen. I wonder if this will be our prayer as we come to this series. Father, may we live our lives worthy of our Lord and may we please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in knowledge, being strengthened so that we have great endurance and patience and giving thanks to you because you have brought us into the kingdom of your Son. Amen.